0: Welcome to The Loop, where we untangle today's business issues by throwing real-life scenarios at RSM's experts to deliver practical advice on how middle-market companies tackle current business issues. Now, people are manufacturer's most important asset, but they're also their greatest risk. And in this episode, we'll discuss issues related to an aging workforce and a skills shortage across the sector. It's one of the key issues for manufacturers, but luckily I'm here with RSM's Head of Manufacturing, Mike Thornton, and David Gibbons, who leads HR Client Services to help work through the key issues. Welcome to you both. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: You're very welcome.
2: So first off, tell me a bit about yourselves, Mike. So I am our Head of Manufacturing. Uh, I'm actually a partner based in our Leeds office, and I work with a portfolio of clients across the manufacturing sector and I've been with RSM for 4 years and no connection to the the manufacturer of the same name no 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 chocolates for me no Okay.
0: And David, um, a bit about yourself?
1: So uh, I'm an Associate Director based uh, out of our London office in RSM, um, and I work within the HR client services team. So we support our clients with all of their people, challenges and opportunities, uh, everything from outsourcing their HR function, you know, the real simple things, all the way through to a bit more complex, you know, more strategic um, HR interventions. So things like recruitment, things like workforce planning.
0: So you're both... Perfectly placed to to deal with the the questions we've got lined up for you in this podcast. Uh, Now we're here to untangle practical advice for middle market companies on core business issues that could be impacting performance and operations right now. We'll do this by throwing real life examples at you and we're looking for you to deliver guidance on how to deal with different scenarios. So do you accept the challenge? Well, I think let's see what the scenarios are first, John.
1: (laughs) No, I think we've got this. We can do this.
0: Good man. Well, okay. well, let's jump in. So you're the MD and the head of HR for a Bristol-based food manufacturer who's struggling to recruit younger workers. It's probably something you've seen before. Your average age of staff keeps climbing. You expect a couple of retirements in the next few years, so you know you're going to lose key skills and knowledge soon. What do you do in that situation? Mike...
2: Well, I think as the managing director, the um, it's a real conundrum. I've enjoyed for a number of years um, that skilled labour. So, th- those that ageing workforce typically is very loyal, and that's where most of your skills reside. But of course, I can see a cliff edge at, in the future at which those skills are going to leave the business and and not be there. So. Uh, The situation is not uncommon to what we see across our clients, which is that uh, the average age of the workforce is is older. And the challenge then becomes, well, how do you get younger people into the business and and attract new business in, in an industry which doesn't have the best of perceptions from a do people want to work in the manufacturing sector? And that's where we see, uh, I see locally in, in in Leeds, manufacturers doing work to collaborate together to try and address this, working with local further education um, providers to look at apprenticeships mm-hmm. and to try and improve the overall perception of, of, of industry. I think one of uh, sort of dark satanic mills is 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 certainly left behind us now. And if you go to some of the advanced manufacturing businesses that we have across the country, it's a very different profession from uh, what it used to be back in those days. But so I think it's been
0: a problem, has it, that that people still, when they think of manufacturing, they think of uh, production lines, they think of uh, greasy
2: machines, and and having to toil and work in that respect. Absolutely. And I think that perception also plays into issues such as diversity. When you look at the number of females who work in manufacturing, it's, low, it's obviously lower than the national average. So that perception is hugely important because in a, in, a, in a world where there's a war for talent, manufacturers can't afford to only be attracting certain portions of the, of the national workforce.
0: Well, exactly. So what are manufacturers
2: doing to overcome the perception? I'm very lucky to visit lots of manufacturing businesses up and down the country, and to see lots of organisations who are supporting younger people getting into the sector. And take it from me, you know, when you when you visit these businesses, they are not what they're not that old school perception. It's very different, and yeah. it's it's really uplifting to see, um, as I do, uh, awards programs designed for apprentices, Uh, I see as many females coming through those programs as I do males, so it's not definitely not all all doom and gloom, and there's a lot for the sector to actually (laughs) shout about. So back to the question, I think if I was the managing director, I'd want to be working closely with the HR director to really establish... um, a plan for, for recruitment and I think one of the things that would be on my mind and, I, and I'll let David come in in a moment but one of the things that uh, would be on my mind would be how digital transformations going to affect my business and and, and what the the skills that are leaving the business are probably not quite the skills that I'd be wanting to think about having in my business in five or ten yeah. years' time.
0: So, yeah. David, the, the the MD of the manufacturer has spoken. How, how are you, how is HR going to respond to
1: that? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, there is a need to look at new ways of finding talent, um, but also retaining the talent that you've currently got. So, there's sort of two parts to it. There's the people that are sort of nearing retirement and actually looking at whether or not you know retirement ages are going to be extended you know if people are going to be working longer um and also just having a good idea about how many people you will have in your organization you know in one year, two years, maybe even five years to then sort of build that profile about what you should be looking for now in terms of number of people that you require but also the skills that you're going to need in five years so that's where HR and indeed sort of the executive team or the management team within a business need to look at what is it that we want to achieve as a business in the next five years three years whatever that may be and then sort of pin that back to what we now need to be start doing in, re- in terms of what our recruitment strategies are.
0: So what are some of the aspects of recruitment strategies that businesses might look at?
1: So should we be looking at our brand? Uh, Should we be looking at what routes to market we have for our potential talent? You know, if we're looking for somebody who has specific skills, where do they go and find a job? You know, would they ever move to Bristol, for example? So knowing what your strategy is as a business then gives you a very powerful narrative to go to the market looking for roles, looking for skills in order to address that skills gap. And then obviously the flip side to that is that if people are leaving your organisation is fundamentally finding out what skills you need to keep and how you then develop the people within the organisation. How do you transfer that knowledge, transfer those expertise to the organisation from the people that might be leaving? Now,
0: we've touched on this a little already, but ultimately does a lot of this come down to changing perceptions among that very workforce you're trying to attract to, to come and join our, our manufacturer, our food manufacturer in Bristol? Do they need to think differently about the whole sector, not even just where they might be going to work? Mike, what do you think?
2: I think the, um, the business leaders need to realise that the war for talent is, is real. If we think about the, the gig economy... You've got there something that offers huge flexibility to to workers, and I think the uh, the challenge has never been greater, really, to get the the right people in. I think certainly one practical thing I do think um, the uh, the ageing workforce and, and bringing younger people in does d- uh, does help with is that the the youngest people in society are the ones who are most tech savvy, and therefore, as we move forward with the digital transformation, I think that's a great opportunity for manufacturers actually to bring in. Uh, young blood with uh, different ideas, and, and yes, they might not have thirty years' experience of, of machining parts, but they bring new skills into a business that they've they, they've very much grown up with.
1: It's also understanding what the values and drivers of people coming into our workforce uh, would be. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more, um, both in sort of social media in publications, that you know the younger workforce are looking more at corporate social responsibility, they're looking more at the value proposition of an organisation. And that's really, really important because those people might not join you immediately, but they might be joining you in one or two years time once they've qualified or once they've decided that actually they do want to work for your business in Bristol. So actually it's turning it on its head to think about not just what we're recruiting now, but what perception we want the market to have so we can recruit sustainably over the next one, two, even five years.
0: I'm interested in the potential impact of our old friend Brexit on all of this as well. Uh, when we talk about the, the the working population, how is that going to be impacted, especially for manufacturing, by the potential fallout from Brexit? Well, I think
2: um, a hard Brexit would clearly be more profound. I have a client who... Uh, produce daffodils in Cornwall. They produce 32 million bunches. That's a lot of daffodils, uh, which is a lot. Um, we, we all we all enjoy seeing them at the start of spring. They that client uses about 700 migrant workers from Eastern Europe who come along w- work every day for a period of seven weeks and then and then repatriate uh, back to Eastern Europe. And for businesses like that, it presents a, a real challenge and a, and a hard Brexit, particularly particularly so if 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 labour restrictions were extremely. Are extremely tight. Um, I think therefore the fact that we've been talking about a food manufacturer is particularly relevant because in those sectors there tends to be more access to, depending on what the activity is, tends to be more access to, to migrant labour. Okay, now what do you think the future might hold
0: if there are labour restrictions put in place?
2: I think um, trying to um, trying to be positive and, and avoid dampening down the scenario. I do hope that uh, I think labour restriction could create an environment where there's more investment. Our, one of our key issues is productivity mm. and that productivity is linked to investment in new technology uh, or plant and equipment and whilst um, whilst currently, whilst Brexit looms over us I don't think the conditions are right at all for, for investment for many manufacturers I, I, I do think there's a uh, moving forwards hopefully that will people will spend the money on investment and we're saying in summary
0: manufacturers need to change perceptions and recruitment processes to attract key talent and create the right cultural environment for employees to develop in their career so that's challenge one let's move on to challenge two Now, you're the MD and head of HR for a Sunderland-based car part manufacturer. We've, we've gone from Bristol to Sunderland. And you've accepted a flexible working request from one of your HR team, who's going to start earlier and finish earlier and work one day a week from home. Now, their friend on the production line also gets wind of flexible working options and has put in a request – what do you do in that situation? David, you're our head of HR. I'm going to come to you first.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and the, this is a typical uh, scenario uh, in the sense that, you know, from a flexible working perspective, I think uh, all of our listeners will sort of see that flexible working is becoming more and more prevalent within... Something we should celebrate perhaps. No, absolutely, 100%. And I think the manufacturing industry uh, in particular, the... That costs, you know, is sometimes a bit more complicated just because of the amount of hands-on work and the the labour that is needed on site. But, you know, from, I suppose, for this example, regardless of whichever department that the individuals might work in, you know, once we've sort of, once an employee's got to that sort of 26-week continuous employment, they have a statutory right to request their flexible working. But a lot of our organisations, a lot of our clients that we work with, um, that doesn't have to get to 26 weeks. Usually a lot of our clients will accommodate requests for flexible working because ultimately we want to get into the place where people can do their role in the most effective way possible.
0: But Mike, how easy is it to introduce flexible working if you're running a production line? Here we have a, a car park manufacturer. Uh, there's a production line there. Things need to be made and done in a regulated format. You can't do that from the living room at home
2: Uh, is it possible to be as flexible if you're a manufacturer? Well, I think at first glance as a managing director, um, you would think, well, there's parts of my business where it's easy to adopt flexible working and there's parts where it's more difficult. And then there's probably parts where you think, no way, I, I couldn't adopt flexible working. I think as an MD, you might actually question well, why are we so dependent on any, on any one person that we can't adopt flexible working? Um, if you think, so car production line is predominantly assembly-based. The semi, so semi-skilled working not, doesn't require... I'd like to think that you know, if a person was sick, the production line wouldn't stop. Certainly as an MD, I never want to be in a position where you were so dependent on any individual person in any part of your business processes because that's just not good for for resilience. And so I think I would be, um, when those requests came in, I'd like to think that um, David and I would have worked closely already on a strategy which meant we had sufficient resilience that we could seriously think about accommodating requests such as that because if, if if the shop floor workforce is, let's say, 100 people, that person won't be the only person who is interested in yeah. in working flexibly. What
0: sort of flexible working
2: examples have you seen in manufacturing businesses? One of the things we see is that um, we perhaps have a, certainly coming from from my profession of accountants, we, work, we have a bit of a, a 9 till 5.30 perception of what regular hours are. Well, I have many clients where working shifts that start six while two work really well for working families because that allows... Uh, w- one member of the household to do childcare in the morning, and then the other member of the household to do childcare in the afternoon. So I think there's also a very um, personal thing about flexible working and not having preset yeah. perceptions as to as, as to what's required. So um, yeah, I think people need to make sure they've got an outlook where they're where a, a sort of can-do attitude, as opposed to a, I can't see that working.
1: There's always going to be sort of qualms around flexible working and you know people may be taking advantage of their flexible working arrangements so the number of directors and managers who have said you know working from home essentially is taking a day off because if you're not in the office then you're not working I heard that last week from you know one of my friends who whose director essentially will look at who is in the office on a given day if that person isn't in then there would need to be a sort of compelling evidence as to why that person hasn't turned up in the office. Now, the argument... What does that do to morale? Well, exactly. And I suppose it's a balancing act because there's a level of trust that you need to have in your employees because otherwise, why did you hire them in the first place? Um, But then at the same time, employees, by demanding uh, flexible working conditions, the accountability rests with them in order to achieve their objectives that they have been set and indeed how they've... uh, or what they've agreed to. So from the manager's side there is an accountability to make sure that the objectives that they are setting their employees is well are smart for example but then also from the employee side is engagement's going to come if they can find a way of being able to perform their duties within their role and then using flexibility as a way of doing that as best as possible is it a case that we do need to look at this flexible working arrangement because we're not meeting those objectives? Or actually, is this creating a platform for you to be a lot more productive with your time and effort, um, which ultimately benefits the business? So it's it's a balancing act and it's probably a catalyst for those conversations that probably at the moment, and I'm, you know, I'm probably generalizing this completely, but the conversations around performance management and objectives and sort of the the stronger conversations around sort of objectives tend to not really be had in a sort of formal setting. You know, people, and it might be the UK, we tend to avoid those difficult conversations with our employees. And as we become more sort of, um, I suppose, flexible, as we become uh, more part of a, an economy that is, you know, the gig economy, People are very reluctant to stick their neck out and make decisions or to say things because they're always worried about the implications with regards to HR.
0: In the case of this particular scenario though, we've got one uh, employee in the HR department who's taking that flexible working option and another on the production line on the shop floor uh, who's requested it let's imagine that it's not that straightforward and that the circumstances on the shop floor don't lend themselves to that degree of flexibility what
2: do you do in that situation i think um you can of course be rigid about these things and say no you're gonna have to stick to those hours on the on the production line but going back to where we've were in the first example, that's just narrowing the pool of people that you can either, as David says, mm-hmm. attract in the recruitment process, or that you you are going to retain. And and when we go back to sixty thousand feet, we shouldn't remember. Here, we should remember here what we're talking about is securing a workforce and and having yeah. a workforce in place. So so there's an, always an option to say no, but from my perspective, I think that would be the is almost the least best option.
1: Yeah, I think at the very least it creates a burning platform to have the conversations about that individual's role. So, you know, if somebody is, for example, on the manufacturing line um, to make the same requests, so if the manufacturing line doesn't start up until a certain time, but they want to be working, you know, two hours before that and leaving two hours before it closes, then that obviously throws up practicalities that are just going to be very difficult to accommodate. However, There is then that conversation about, well, your role at the moment relies on these objectives. So let's look at how you deliver those objectives. And that then promotes the conversation about how best they might be able to deliver other aspects of their role. Okay. Um, And that's where that sort of job sharing piece can come in. You know, and it might be looking at then why they need that flexible working arrangement. As Mike said, there's all sorts of issues um, or, you know, things that people want to try and achieve with life outside of work. So it's having that conversation, which I think at the moment probably doesn't happen as often as it should. The key here is that you've just got to make sure that it's a it's a communication to all of the organisation, you know, that it can't just be special treatment for one particular person, but actually there should be the policies and procedures in place that underpin this sort of flexible working arrangement.
0: So to summarise some types of flexible working are more practical than others for the sector, but implementing and communicating a clear flexible working strategy that links to your wider organisational strategy is crucial. To creating an inclusive environment where staff know all of the options. Just before we wrap up, to get a couple of top tips from you both as well on what manufacturers need to do to secure new staff and to future-proof their businesses. Just a small ask there. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Mike? What
2: would you say? Well, I think I'd like to uh, draw out a couple of practical thoughts from from the two examples that we've, we've looked at. I think... Um, in terms of uh, the first area we talked about i think helping improve the perception of manufacturing is something that everybody across the sector has a has a role to play yeah. um in and um collaborating with local manufacturers and supporting the sector is really important i think then for the second um area that we've looked at around flexible working i think david Hit hit the nail on the head earlier when he talked about the importance of getting it right in recruitment. I'm a big believer in being honest with people, treating people like grown-ups, and so I think between an employer and an employee, an employee should expect to be able to understand enough about an organisation and the approach to flexible working um, when they join. So I think to do that, what organisations need to do practically is that the managing director does need to work with the hr director or the hr team to thoroughly explore across the business well how would flexible working be accommodated and almost um have a have a plan and an approach and a strategy for that and i don't see why that's not something that you could be open book and and, and shared quite widely widely as to how that would be be dealt with
1: david yeah i'm glad you went first (laughs) um so I suppose it would would touch on the point that you made earlier, John, around that people are manufacturer's biggest asset, but obviously they could also be their biggest challenge. If you're looking at what your organisation needs to achieve, you're essentially setting yourself that, you know, that marker in the road. Working back to sort of say, well, if we're going to achieve our organisational objectives, what do we need in terms of people, in terms of skill in order to get there? what have we currently got in the organisation you know what skills uh, what skill strengths do we have where are our needs what might we be able say to develop within the organisation to achieve you know that's or address that skill shortage and then obviously what do we then need to bring in because fundamentally that then creates your recruitment strategies so It's certainly looking at sort of the result and then working your way back is certainly one of the practical steps that a lot of our clients, when we sit down with them, will go through. I suppose in the the second practical tip follows on from that, which is um, really look at how you attract, select and almost retain your employees, you know, your talent, Um, because you'll find that if you really critique the way you go about those three elements, it really gives you a focus on where you should be looking to improve or change the way you're thinking about certain areas because ultimately, once you've got that or you've got more robust processes in place, you can then start to bring in the kind of talent that you're looking for in the future and that ultimately then gives you that burning platform then to succeed.
0: It's a fascinating subject matter and an important one, but unfortunately, we're out of time now. So, David, Mike, thank you both very much indeed. Yeah, thanks for having us. And if you want to know more about manufacturing, you can visit www.rsmuk.com forward slash make it in manufacturing with hyphens between those last four words. And we're very keen on your views. So please do rate us and leave a review. And to keep in the loop, please subscribe to The Loop and listen to our next podcast where we'll untangle today's big business issues.